Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and if you're wondering about the name, (laughs) I love to listen to true crime while I clean. So because cleaning and true crime are my two loves, I've combined the two. And every week I post a new whole house cleaning motivation video on my YouTube channel, See Elise. And in the corner of the video, I'm in a little bubble telling you about a true crime case that's interesting to me. So cleaning and crime. But for some, the cleaning footage is too distracting. Or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. If you want to check out the video version of today's story, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and you'll find a playlist of all of my cleaning and crime episodes. But if you just came here for the crime and not the cleaning, you're in the right place. I'm uploading my older episodes of cleaning and crime in podcast form. And once all the old ones are up and I'm caught up, my upload schedule will be weekly, the same day the video version goes up on YouTube. Some of the earlier episodes do have slightly lower sound quality than the newer episodes, and that's just reflective of improving my skills as I went, but also, in the beginning, I only ever intended for these to be videos. So as the episodes progress, hopefully you'll notice the sound quality improving. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast. Some episodes may be disturbing to some listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for each episode for specific trigger warnings. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today's story is about Lacey Spears and the death of her five-year-old son, Garnet. Lacey was a 26-year-old single mom who spent her free time posting on social media and her blogs about her son's health struggles. From the moment Garnet was born, he was in and out of hospitals nonstop. Now from the outside looking in, Lacey was a devoted, loving mother, posting on social media constantly about how much she was going through to help her son. But at his final hospital stay, medical staff realized something was horribly wrong when Garnet's sodium levels spiked to an impossibly high level that caused seizures. Then it caused his brain to swell and ultimately led to his death at age five. Doctors and nurses quickly got police involved because of the realization that Garnet hadn't died from some mysterious illness that raised his sodium. They believed he had been poisoned with table salt and they suspected his mother. Holy moly, this shit is wild. When I first started researching this and writing my notes, my notes ended up being about 15 pages. (laughs) There is so much to this case. It could be an entire like multi-episode podcast. I cannot tell you everything. I have but one YouTube video and I only have so much house to clean. Now, Lacey Spears, let's learn about her. Now, most of the articles and the documentaries, they all start when Garnet was born, but that is just not enough for me. I don't believe that you just suddenly turn into a psycho as an adult. You know, I need to look back for an explanation. Lacey Elizabeth Spears was born October 16th, 1987. So tomorrow, creepy. Happy birthday, Lacey. I'm just kidding, we don't like you. Lacey was the youngest of three kids and they grew up in Decatur, Alabama. Nestled on the Tennessee River along the Bible Belt, Decatur's one of the poorest towns in the country with a church on every corner. Like literally, they actually had the Guinness World Record for most churches in one town. Lacey's father, Terry, was a welder and her mother, Tina, stayed home with the kids. Terry and Tina's marriage was not close and also Tina was described as a cold, unaffectionate mother. Lacey was obsessed with dolls from a very young age. She always had a doll with her and she would always pretend to be the mommy to the baby. Once when Lacey was in kindergarten, her friend came over to play and when the friend picked up a doll to play with, Lacey snapped and strangled her. She didn't kill her, but she like bruised up her neck really bad. Okay, they're like five. 
We're not off to a good start. When Lacey was 12, she showed up late one night at her best friend's house and told her best friend's mother that she had been molested by a family member and was too scared to go home. Now, the best friend's mom called the Alabama Department of Human Resources, which is basically like Alabama's CPS, their Child Protective Services, but there's no record of any subsequent investigation after that call, which is really unfortunate. Lacey also told her neighbors of the abuse and they offered a safe haven letting Lacey come over whenever she was scared, but they never really intervened or reported anything. Lacey's older sister, Rebecca, said that she had no recollection or memory or knowledge that Lacey was ever molested. They had a perfectly normal, happy childhood and she has no idea why anybody would think or say that, so. It was difficult to trust a damn word out of Lacey's mouth because she was a pathological liar. And just before high school started in 2002, she really ramped up the lying. She would tell fanciful stories and if she didn't get the reaction and the amount of attention that she wanted, she would just the quick switch to a bigger, better lie. Once she walked into church with a brace on her foot and she was like, oh, I fell and hurt my foot cheerleading. And they're all like, oh, okay, that's too bad. And then she was like, I mean, I collapsed in the street because I'm suffering from anorexia and I, I hadn't eaten anything in many days. And one of her friends calls her out. They're like, I literally saw you eating a hot dog outside yesterday. And she was like, yes, I did eat that one hot dog, but that hot dog is all I've eaten for days. <laughs> Give me a break. Also, she doesn't have that accent. I don't know why I sounded like that. Then she shows up and tells all her friends, I'm pregnant, everyone, I'm pregnant. And then like three days later, she's like, I had an abortion. Everyone, I had an abortion at the clinic down the street. And one of her friends was like, they don't even do abortions there. And she's like, no, you're right. I had it done in Florida by my grandmother's house. What are you doing? Lacey was described as a people pleaser and overachiever. She also was like an oversharer. Like she would tell anybody that would listen about her struggles. Either she was having trouble at home, she was addicted to diet pills, addicted to Adderall, she had an eating disorder, she was pregnant, she had an abortion, she was molested by a family member. It was like whoever would listen she would tell and everyone in her school knew her drama because she told everyone about it and probably most if not all of it was just simply made up. She also never dated and never showed any interest in dating. And I'm bringing these things up because these personality traits carry through this entire story. 2006, Lacey graduates high school and she moves into a two bedroom apartment with her older sister just down the street from her parents and she starts working at Kids Club Daycare in Decatur. She also began taking nursing courses and she found in class like an old elementary school friend. So they rekindled their friendship and before you know it, they're like carpooling to school and they're like hanging out after class and studying together. Her name was Christy and Christy had a 10 month old son, Cameron, and Lacey, she quickly became obsessed with Cameron. Lacey began babysitting Cameron and wouldn't ask for any payment. She was like, no, I just love it. And then she was buying things for him like diapers, a car seat, toys, all from her own pocket. One time, Christy and Cameron went out to the park and someone that she knew from church came up and she's like, oh, hey. And the friend was like, hey, you have Lacey's baby. Are you babysitting for Lacey? And Christy was like, the fuck? This is Cameron. He's my baby. So Lacey had been going around town with Cameron telling people that he was hers. Now during the six month or so period that Lacey babysat Cameron, Cameron began experiencing terrible chronic ear infections and Christy was taking him to the doctor all the time. One day Lacey comes to pick up Cameron for the weekend, which I'm like, 
that's suspicious enough for me. Like, why is my friend picking up my kid for no reason and taking him for a whole weekend unpaid? But that's what she did. So she comes pick up Cameron and then she just didn't come back the day she was supposed to bring him. So Christy is freaking out, calling everyone she knows. Have you seen Lacey? So finally the next day, Monday, she gets a hold of Lacey. She's like, what are you doing? Bring my kid back. And she wanted to kick her ass, but she stayed calm. Lacey brings the kid back. She takes her son and she's like, you are never watching my son again. And Lacey was crying, sobbing. Please don't take Cameron away from me. But Christy held her ground and didn't let her babysit anymore. And wouldn't you know it, his ear infections just stopped. But Lacey quickly found a replacement child. Lacey talked a friend who she knew had a kid into joining at her daycare by offering her a friend and family discount. And her friend, Autumn, was like, well, this is great. I love a discount on childcare. And someone I know works there, that's awesome. And Lacey starts watching Jonathan, who she called John John, at the daycare. And Autumn was working and going to school at the same time. And it was so great because Lacey would stay after hours with Jonathan until Autumn could get there to pick him up. And then eventually Lacey's like, well, I'll just take him to my house after work. So I don't have to like hang out at work late. I'll just bring him to my house and get him some dinner and you can pick him up there. And then Lacey was John John's primary caregiver. And soon she was spending more time with Jonathan than Autumn was. And she would even take him for weekends, again, completely unpaid so that Autumn could like spend the weekend with her boyfriend. Soon Lacey's two bedroom apartment looked like a freaking daycare. Cribs, toys, diapers, wipes, formula, everything that a baby needs. She's got it in her apartment. And it's like, she wasn't taking any money. How can she afford this? Well, Lacey was taking Jonathan like pretty much every day church hopping. And they would go from church to church and she would be like, this is my son, Jonathan, I'm a single teen mom. And she was getting charitable donations from all of these churches. Remember there's one on every corner? <gasps> can you imagine? Oh. Now also, now that Lacey's watching John John, he starts getting chronic ear infections. And I mean ear infections, like, I'm sorry, this is gross, but ear infections that involved pus and blood and a perforated eardrum. In 2007, Lacey just added another kid to her collection. She met this boy, 18 months old, at the daycare, his name's McKilly. And she's like, this kid is adorable. So she befriends the mother, Shauna. She's like, oh my God, you're so nice. We should go out for coffee. So they like get together. They're going out after work. They're doing friend stuff. And then Lacey's like, hey, you should have McKillie come over to my house for a sleepover. And Shauna didn't really think anything of it because they were friends. And she had John John at the time. So she's like, yeah, the boys can have a sleepover. That sounds like so much fun. But she thought that John John was Lacey's kid. Probably because Lacey told her that he was her kid. But so then she didn't think it was weird. But it super was weird. Soon Lacey was the primary caregiver for John John and for McKilly. And she never asked anybody for any money. And soon McKilly started having chronic ear infections as well. Lacey and Shauna end up creating this like really intense friendship. Soon Lacey was like telling Shauna about her past, about how she had been molested. And then she was calling in the middle of the night crying, saying, he's just been here, he was just here, he, he hurt me. And she would like run over to Shauna's house crying. Lacey shows up one day and she tells Shauna that she's pregnant and the father is this mysterious family member. Then a few weeks later, Lacey starts telling Shauna about her fiance, Blake, who was a police officer and had died in a car accident while on duty. Shauna was like, 
dead fiance, what? How have you never mentioned that before? And why are there zero pictures of this dude in your house? Shauna's husband and his mother, so mother-in-law, they were suspicious of her, and the mother-in-law had just found out that Lacey was parading McKillie around town saying that he was hers, and that Jonathan and McKillie were brothers. And she was like, mm, mm-mm. Shauna's husband and his mother, they staged like an intervention to basically get Shauna to break up with Lacey. So they tell her all the tea, and Shauna sees the light, and so they have Lacey come over, and it was really sad. Shauna said she was crying because like they were really good friends, but she's like, Lacey, you're getting in between me and my marriage and my family. I need to take a step back from you. I can't hang out with you anymore and you can't babysit McKillie anymore. And Lacey flipped, screaming about betrayal, sobbing, throwing things, swearing, and she stormed out. So then Lacey takes a vacation to Clearwater, Florida to visit her grandmother and her uncle Beau. And then when she came back, she was no longer pregnant. Now, Shauna, because they were still kind of friendly, like Facebook friendly, she heard through the grapevine that Lacey had lost the baby is what she was telling people, and that she had a burial in Florida. But Shauna was kind of like, Shauna didn't believe that she was ever pregnant. It was just all weird, you know? She just had a feeling. Now, Lacey was still babysitting John John at the time. And on John John's first birthday, Lacey posted 300 photos to a MySpace album. Do you remember MySpace? And she captioned photos like, Hey, Mommy Lacey. What are you doing, Mommy Lacey? I love you, my world, my everything. And someone commented like, hey, uh, is he yours? And she responded, yes, he is. He's the love of my life. Oh my God, that gives me the ick. It's not your kid. <gasps> Lacey lived above a man named Chris Hill. Now, Chris and Lacey had met a couple times, mostly when Chris and his friends were drinking in the parking lot and they would make fun of Lacey when she walked by for her cold demeanor. She seemed kind of like a bitch to him. So he was super surprised when one day she comes downstairs, she's like, hey, so I'm building a bassinet. Can you like bring your muscles upstairs and help me? And he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. It's weird, but okay. So he goes upstairs, he helps build this bassinet. They get to chatting. One thing leads to another and they totally bone. In his words, he said they did the business. Then they started this really weird relationship that Chris called neighbors with benefits. <laughs> She would just show up randomly and be like, sex? He described her as cold and unaffectionate and he said the sex was passionless. Super hot. He never asked about contraceptives and she never said anything. He later admitted that he was a dumbass for not asking and that he was drinking a lot at that time and Lacey was not, so. Early March 2008, Lacey fell pregnant. Initially she told Chris that he was a father and he was like, you know what, let's Let's try to like have a relationship. Let's try to make this work. We can raise them together and I'll help you with anything you need. Let's like try to like, you know, actually date. And she was like, yeah, okay, whatever. Then one day Lacey comes home and tells him, I picked the baby's name, it's Garnet. And he was like, it's Garnet. Okay, well, I have a few baby names. And she's like, no, it's Garnet. And he was like, oh, okay. I don't like the name, but obviously you don't really want me involved. Then a few days later, she shows up and she's like, oh, by the way, you're not the father. It's my ex-boyfriend, Blake, so don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> and he was like, holy shit, she completely used me to get pregnant and wants no father figure involved. So just before Lacey's 21st birthday, there's a baby shower for Lacey. When friends were asking her like, hey, is the baby's father here? Who's the baby's father? She would just say, Blake, and then just like change the subject. Now, Shauna, McKillie's mom, she was at the shower. She didn't say anything, but she's like, Blake, like your dead fiance that you told me about like over a year ago? 
You're so full of shit. And plus, Shauna and her husband had gone on a double date with Chris and Lacey during the Neighbors with Benefits phase. So she knew Chris was the father, like she knew Chris. Turns out, Blake was a real dude. He was a cop in Decatur and Lacey had gone on a date with him. Like they got set up. But when Blake was interviewed later, he was like, yeah, we went out, it was like a setup and it went poorly. There was no chemistry. And he's like, I absolutely did not sleep with her. I'm a strict Southern Baptist and he was saving himself for marriage. And he was like, no, it's just like a date. So she was just like using that name. Freaking wild. Garnet Paul Thompson Spears was born on December 3rd, 2008. Lacey flooded MySpace with pictures of her new baby, captioning, he's all mine. Two days after he was born, a perfectly healthy Garnet was released from the hospital to his mother's two bedroom apartment. And two days after that, Garnet's lifetime of health struggles would begin. Now, Lacey was still babysitting Jonathan at this time. So when she gets home, she starts flooding MySpace with pictures of the two boys together in matching outfits, calling them Big Bro and Little Bro. Now for the first two months of Garnet's life, Lacey was taking Garnet to the doctor or the hospital weekly or more. She would complain that he had a fever, jaundice, was pulling at his ears. And then the doctor would examine him and he had none of those, so they would send him home. So then Lacey started saying, well, he is not eating. He is vomiting, he is lethargic, he won't take a bottle. Lacey would insist on rigorous testing and, and recommend that they be admitted so that her baby could be watched. She took photos of Garnet at every visit and would post them to her MySpace page. She would post pictures of her baby with an IV and be like, poor baby boy, see his IV, please pray for my poor baby. In January 2009, about a month, month and a half old, Lacey starts taking Garnet to the hospital like daily. She was complaining that he was not eating properly. He was vomiting. He was bleeding from both ears. By mid-January, doctors were growing suspicious of Lacey and they were concerned about her mental state. She had postpartum depression and now doctors were believing that she was suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. Now, Munchausen syndrome is where you make yourself sick for attention. Munchausen syndrome by proxy is where you make someone else sick usually a child or an elderly family member for attention. So notes were put into Garnet's chart to keep an eye on Lacey. The next day, Lacey verbalized that she was thinking of harming Garnet, and so the Alabama DHR was called and social workers came to talk to Lacey in the office. And they set up meetings to do a home check and to check on her and Garnet and the well-being of both of them, but she was just never home and never answered her phone, never returned the phone calls or the messages. So the investigation just stopped there because they couldn't find her. Which is so frustrating. To dodge social services, Lacey just switched hospitals. So she starts going to Huntsville Hospital for a clean slate. Now Huntsville diagnosed the boy with failure to thrive and reflux. They referred her to a specialist for ear infections and they referred her to a gastroenterologist who then performed surgery on the boy called, forgive me if I say this wrong, Nissen's Fundaplanate. Nissen's fundiplication. It's a procedure that alters the top of your stomach and your esophagus so that you can keep food down. So it makes it impossible to vomit. All on Lacey's say-so on an eight-week-old baby. Nobody even saw the kid barf. Now, after that procedure, Garnet's still like two months old, she brings Garnet back to Decatur, brings him into the ER. She's like, look, I have this bottle, I have this baby. He won't eat, look, he won't eat. Doctor sees it, nurse is trying to feed Garnet. She takes him into an examination room and the nurse ends up successfully feeding Garnet with the bottle that Lacey brought. 
but immediately Garnet becomes very lethargic and like limp. The doctor tells Lacey and Lacey blames the nurse and is like, obviously the nurse gave him improper formula. Bitch, it was the bottle you brought. Doctors immediately start running tests. Garnet's sodium levels in his blood had risen to an impossibly high level, 180. Now 140 would be normal for an infant. Then he starts having seizures. Then he stops breathing. So they intubate him. They said, we need to airlift him to Children's in Birmingham. When he gets there, they test his blood again and the sodium levels have gone down a little bit, like to 165, but that's still a dangerous level. And he was so dehydrated that he was in shock. Now he would remain at Children's Hospital for 11 days recovering. Doctors were completely baffled. Like what would cause this kid's sodium to spike? So they run a bunch of tests and anything that it could be like syphilis or diabetes, all these things were normal. But he wrote in her chart that he was suspicious that Lacey had put salt in the bottle, but there was no evidence of that. It was the only scenario he could think of. Plus he had had the Nissen's fundiplication surgery. <laughs> It's hard to say. That made it impossible for him to vomit. A salty feeding would normally make you vomit to get the salt out of you, but he was unable to. That was just his theory, so he just put a note in the chart. Now, if I went over every subsequent doctor's visit and hospital visit, we would be here forever. This would not be a YouTube video. This would be an audiobook. So I will just say, Lacey continued to take Garnet to doctors and to hospitals constantly over the next year, always complaining that he would not eat he had ear infections, sometimes he had a high fever, he was vomiting, he was not gaining weight. Lacey, shut up, he cannot throw up. It's impossible. Once Lacey brought Garnet into the hospital for vomiting and dehydration, saying he wouldn't eat anything. A nurse, her name was Ginger, she took Garnet to the nurse's station, to the desk, and she made up a bottle of formula and she fed him with no problems. And then she held the baby for two hours to make sure that he digested the bottle and that he didn't throw anything up, and he didn't. So she called Lacey back to the nurse's station and she was telling her like, he ate just fine. And she's trying to teach her like, hey, try these tips, hold him upright, slow down. Maybe try this different type of bottle. And Ginger said it was like talking to a brick wall. It was not getting through her eyeballs, through her ear holes. She was just standing there like. And then Lacey just turned around and found a different nurse and was like, I can't believe it. He's just throwing up. He won't eat any. So Ginger put them in a room for observation. And it wasn't long before Lacey comes running out. He's vomited all over. And so Ginger runs in there and sees the kid and he's like totally fine. It was like quite clear that he had not just thrown up, but the bed was soaking wet and Ginger feels it. And she's like, it's covered in water. Did you dump water all over the bed? And Lacey was just like, she didn't say anything. She didn't say yes or no. And Ginger was like, I'm gonna call Alabama DHR because I want someone else to watch you. So social workers come, they meet with Lacey, they talk with her in the hospital room. And also Ginger, the nurse, she had seen Garnet several times and she was there the night at the Decatur Hospital when he was airlifted to Children's. She was one of the nurses that helped save his life. So she was very concerned for Garnet. So she actually befriended Lacey on purpose to keep an eye on her and Garnet. And Lacey, over the next year, would tell Ginger, oh yeah, the social workers have been doing house checks and welfare checks. They've been working with us for a year. But in 2014, a DHR representative said, no, no, there's no file. There's never any investigation into Lacey and Garnet. So Lacey had lied to Ginger for a year about social services being involved. She get her off her back. <laughs> After the summer, in August, Lacey decides this kid is just not 
eating. He needs a G-tube. And a G-tube is like a port, like a feeding tube that goes directly into your stomach. It's surgically implanted. Now Ginger, the nurse who had befriended her, had actually become Garnet's babysitter as well. Talk about going above and beyond for your job. Ginger, when she babysat him, she was like, he eats fine. Like he was old enough to eat solid foods at this point. He would eat whatever you put in front of him. But oh no, Lacey knew best. So she went door to door, doctor hopping, until finally she got a referral that sent her to a gastroenterologist that was like, oh my God, this poor boy, he was airlifted when he was a baby. Surgery on his stomach, he had failure to threat. We need a G-tube right away. And he fucking did it. She just kept asking as many doctors as she could until one of them said yes. So on September 1st, before this kid was even one, he had this G-tube placed, and now Lacey has visual and physical proof that this kid has chronic gastric issues. And on top of that, now she can put whatever the hell she wants directly into his stomach, and he can't even barf it up. Now, once the tube was placed, Lacey was still taking Garnet to the doctor for ear infections pretty frequently, but the cycle of attention getting shifted from going to the ER all the time to posting on social media all the time, which I guess is sort of an improvement. I don't know. Lacey started a Twitter account, at Garnet's Mommy, and a personal Facebook page, and additional Facebook pages for Garnet's fans to follow his health struggles online so they wouldn't miss anything. She would update on every doctor's visit, every hospital stay, whether they were real or imagined. Once she got referred to an ENT in Nashville, Lacey demands that the doctor put tubes in his ears for his ear infections. It was all suspicious, so she refused and sent them home. But online, Lacey was saying the surgery did happen and that they were then admitted, and that there was complications afterwards, and then high fevers, pray for my baby. <sighs> Jesus Christ. And then all these comments would flood in. You're such a strong woman, Garnet's so lucky to have you as his mommy. Oh my God, it is disgusting. Let's move on to 2010. So Garnet's a toddler, and they end up moving to Clearwater, Florida to live with Lacey's grandmother. Uncle Bo died of cancer. He was the one taking care of grandma. So grandma is like, Lacey Garnet moving with me, Take care of me, take care of the house, live here for free. Now there's a small inheritance. There's a new house to live in. There's a car for her to drive. So she's got new insurance, new doctors, clean slate. She can make, meet new neighbors and make new friends. And maybe she just won't ask for those medical records to be sent to Florida. Now, speaking of making friends, she would join all these mom groups and she would go hang out with these moms and their kids and she would act shy and then someone would come up and chat and be like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. And she would be like, he's terribly sick. What, he's sick, he looks fine. Look, look at his G-tube. And then she would go into his whole medical history and then these ladies would be like, oh my God, this poor girl, this single mom with a sick kid, she needs a friend. Now Lacey also made friends long distance because now she's got social media, she's got the internet, she can meet whoever she wants. So she joined all these support groups and mom groups on Facebook. She joined groups that were for like bereavement, losing a spouse, losing a child. She made friends with all these women. She would send emails and messages about her fiance Blake who died and tell these long dramatic stories about their epic love story and how she had a baby right before Garnett and a daughter afterwards and they both died. I mean, it was like romance novels that she was emailing to these perfect strangers just so she could get that email back that would be like, you are so inspiring, you're such a strong mother. 
So now we shift into phase three of Lacey's fake personality. She completely transformed in Florida into crunchy vegan mommy blogger. She starts a blog all about now Garnet's healing journey rather than his health struggles. She updates all of her Facebook pages that she's gonna talk about healing Garnet naturally. She turned her back on Western medicine. She's given up on doctors. Now she's an anti-vaxxer. Now she's against antibiotics. She's seeing a Chinese medicine doctor and an herbalist and a vegan nutritionist. And she's going to heal Garnet from the inside out. She's gonna document the whole thing. Meanwhile, she's also posting constantly about how he has a horrible fever. He has these terrible ear infections. Oh, he's in terrible pain. Pray for my baby. Oh, another ear infection. And then she's spewing that she's anti-antibiotics. In Florida, she would still go to these mom group meetings and take Garnet swimming in the ocean with blood coming from his nose and his ears and a high fever. So people started calling CPS in Florida. There was an investigation. They went to the grandma's house. Grandma stood up for Lacey. Lacey denied all the allegations. He seemed like a happy kid. There was no bruises. So they labeled him intermediate risk basically because of his complicated medical history. But there was no follow-up visits requested in the file. So that one ended. Now Lacey, after that first investigation closed, she found out from a friend about this holistic alternative community in Chestnut Ridge, New York. It's called the Fellowship Community and it's kind of like a cool hippie commune. It's a community that focuses on taking care of the elderly and the terminally ill. Now you can apply to live there if you fall into those two categories or if you want to live and work there. So like you and I could apply to go there live for free, free room and board, in exchange for working and helping to better the community. There's doctors and there's schools. So Lacey thought this would be so great for her and Garnet. So she starts applying. She said that she had like nursing qualifications and that she had been caring for her elderly grandmother so she could take care of old people in this community. So she's waiting for her acceptance into this community. And meanwhile, she really ramped up the social media bullshit. She decides her and Garnet are gonna go raw vegan. She's posting all about it. She also told this long dramatic story of donating all of her extra breast milk to a mother in need and she got to deliver it in person and know that she saved a child's life. She wasn't even breastfeeding. I don't think she ever did. Nobody saw her breastfeed. It's all bullshit. Everyone's like, oh my god, you're so amazing. You're so inspiring. <laughs> then she starts posting on her blog, which she had blocked her family and close friends on, so like they couldn't see it. She found like some cheesy stock photo of some like ruggedly handsome man and wrote this long post about her fiance who died and like their amazing love story. And everyone's like, oh my God, so amazing. Some friends were like, reverse image search, girl, what the hell, stock photo, unfriend. But others were very concerned about how she was becoming more and more erratic online and her spewing anti-doctor stuff when she's got this really sick kid. So more calls to CPS going. They try to start another investigation. They set up interviews with Lacey. And she's like, yeah, totally, I'll be there. Then last minute, she would call and cancel and reschedule. And she did this until she got her acceptance into the fellowship and she packed up their shit and went without warning. And that investigation was just left open. Now everyone that knew Lacey was like totally shocked that she just packed up and moved to this community and didn't tell anyone. Now let me tell you this bitch. This bitch shows up to this community with a diamond ring on her finger saying that 
her husband, Garnet's father, had just died and she was forced to take Garnet to this community on her own. And everyone's like, oh my God, that is so sad. Now, Lacey and Garnet lived at the community for about a year and a half. She did abandon the blog at this point and didn't post anymore. She only posted on Twitter and Facebook. I think because, you know, the user interface and the way it all works, you get such instant gratification and you get like instant comments back and you can really interact better. You could just be like, Garnet has a fever. And people would be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like instant attention. So they throw themselves into this community, into this lifestyle and Garnet is thriving. He's like four at this point. He's starting kindergarten. He's making all these friends. He is just so sweet. Everyone in the community loved him. He was so outgoing and just adorable. He was energetic. He played with all the other kids. He ate all the same foods that all the kids were eating. He seemed totally healthy. So everyone was like kind of getting weirded out when Lacey would be like, no, he's really sick. He never eats. And they're like, he's eating a cheeseburger right now. She's like, no, he doesn't eat. He's starving. She started taking Garnet to like the community doctor, basically for ear infections when they came up. And the doctor was very confused. Like this kid's four and he's still got a G-tube? Why does he still have the G-tube? She's like, he won't eat. Oh, he eats primarily through the G-tube, she says. And he's like, mm, well, okay, we really need to do a nutritional analysis. It's basically like you go for a couple of days and they like monitor all of your food and your eating habits and they're trying to decide if the G-tube is still necessary because when it's in for that long, so much can go wrong. So it's recommended you take that out if you don't absolutely need it. He's like, here, you need to go to this place and do this nutritional analysis. She's like, yeah, okay, totally. And then she would just not show up. Then the next time she would go in for like another ear infection, he'd be like, yeah, okay, I really need his medical records. And she's like, no, I know it all. And she would just recite everything. He's like, no, but I, I need the medical records and you need to do this nutritional analysis. And she's like, okay, totally, I'm on it. And then she just would not. Then unfortunately, that doctor switched practices and moved, so. Lacey got a new doctor and a clean slate. Burr, burr, burr. Now it is at this point that the members of the community, in hindsight, believe that this is where Lacey began setting the groundwork for what she was planning to do to Garnet. Lacey and Garnet went to Florida to visit for the Christmas holiday. They visited family, they spent time at the beach, the whole family got together at grandma's house and it was a lovely beach vacation. But online, everything was terrible. She was emailing, calling, texting. Garnet's in the pediatric ICU, he's very sick. He has a fever of 104, he's vomiting, he's having seizures, giving them constant updates, asking them to pray for him. All of it was completely made up, he's building sandcastles. Then on December 29th, they just flew back to New York and he went back to school on January 7th, a Tuesday. And they're like, oh my God, so relieved that he's fine and he's back at school and he seemed back to normal. But on that Friday, Lacey pulled him out of school. She told his teacher, he's got a fever and he's got a stomach bug. It's really bad. All weekend, she posted pictures of Garnet playing in their house and he looked fine, but the captions were like, he still has a little energy for playing, but he has a high fever and he's, he's very sick. On Sunday night, Lacey emailed Garnet's teacher and she's like, he's hanging in there, but I'm taking him to the doctor tomorrow. I'm gonna have him get his sodium levels checked. The slightest change in his sodium levels gives him seizures, which is such a weird thing to say. She was setting the stage, trickling those breadcrumbs, leading to where she wanted them to lead. Monday morning, she took Garnet to the doctor in the community and said he'd been having a 104 degree temperature for five days. Doctor took his temperature. 
Okay, well, everything's fine now, so uh, call me or come back if, if, if the fever comes back. Okay, bye. On Tuesday night, Lacey took Garnet to the ER. She told the nurse that he had had a seizure before they came and that he had had a second seizure while in the waiting room at the ER waiting to get taken back. She said his head was hurting, that he was retching and gagging, trying to throw up. Then his legs and arms were shaking for about 10 minutes. Then he was confused and holding his head in pain. Very concerned, obviously. They ran a shitload of tests, all of which came back normal, except for his sodium and his chloride levels, which were slightly elevated. Sodium and chloride. Sounds so familiar. Oh my God, that's table salt, isn't it? Now, they were slightly elevated, but it wasn't like he's in danger, but they did offer Lacey to transfer her to the next hospital over so he could be monitored by the neurologist there. But she was like, yeah, I'll just take him home, get some rest, it'll be fine. Then she takes him home and she calls all of her friends. She's like, he is so sick, he's having seizures and this hospital is not taking it seriously. She texted like every friend that she could think of saying, he's having more seizures. I'm so scared. I don't know what to do. And they're like, you should probably go to the hospital. She's like, I don't know. Please pray for him. On Friday, Garnet's teacher went over to Lacey and Garnet's house in the community to check on him. When she walked in, she sees Lacey on the couch with Garnet. He's laying on her. He's in obvious distress. There's an IV bag on a pole in the room with like a kangaroo pump on it. It looks as though it was either just used or about to be used. So she's like, what's going on? Is he okay? He doesn't look okay. You should go to the hospital. Lacey's like, yeah, I'm gonna call my friend to take us. And she's like, okay, well, I will go let the physician in the community know and he'll, he'll come check on him in a bit. As soon as she leaves, Lacey takes that IV bag and the kangaroo pump attaches it to that G-tube, pumping whatever the fuck that was into Garnet's stomach. A few minutes later, she frantically calls her friend Una Younger and she's like, bring the car, hospital now. Una gets there, busts in, sees Lacey on the couch with Garnet and he's like hooked up to this IV. And she's like, I thought you said hospital right now. I'm like, I'm ready to go. And she's like, okay, well, actually you don't have to drive us, I'll drive. I'll, I just wanna borrow your car. Una's like, Okay, yeah, here's the keys. Uh, let's get him in the car. So they get Garnet in the car. Lacey starts driving Garnet, but of course, halfway to the hospital, she pulls over to take a photo of Garnet in his car seat for social media. They get to the hospital. Nurses notice that Garnet is nervous. His hands are shaky. They get him back. Lacey calmly tells the doctor everything that's happened the past week, his complete medical history. She also felt the need to mention that once he was airlifted when he was a baby, when his sodium levels hit 200. The doctor's like, 200? Are you sure it was 200? That's not compatible with life. And she's like, pretty sure, yeah. While the doctor's in there examining Garnet, he multiple times witnessed Garnet attempting, like like retching, like trying to throw up, but he was obviously unable to because of the procedure, right? Just in talking with Lacey, seeing the boy, reading the notes, the way she was acting, the way she like rattled off all the medical knowledge and using proper medical jargon. It, it, the doctor was very suspicious. He hadn't seen a seizure, but he was very concerned. So he admitted the boy. He told the admitting doctor, I see that this mother is not right. I'm thinking Munchausen's, you need to watch carefully. So upon being admitted, Garnet improved, he seemed happy. But to see if he really had seizures, they set him up with a video EEG. So they were gonna put electrodes all over his head, 
monitor his brain activity while also videotaping him in his hospital room. While they were being monitored, blood tests were being run throughout their stay. And Lacey kept asking the nurses, like, hey, what about the sodium? His sodium levels, is it, is it higher? Did you test that? On Friday and on Saturday, he was fine. He was just bored. He was just laying around in bed, playing with some toys. Then on Sunday, he took a turn for the worse. Garnet began screaming that his head hurt. He was confused. All of a sudden he would like get on all fours and like retch in the bed, like trying to throw up. Then he began convulsing and he stopped breathing. Now while medical staff is frantically running around trying to save him, trying to intubate him, Lacey's screaming, but what about his sodium? Is anybody gonna test the sodium? Once the seizure stopped and he was intubated, more blood was tested. As soon as the test came back, the nurse calls the doctor and tells him that his sodium levels were 182. The doctor said, 182? No, you need to repeat that test. That's impossible. Now Lacey was told that Garnet was gonna be airlifted to Children's in Westchester. And they're like, come on, let's get you on the helicopter. Let's go. And Lacey's like, oh, I'm not, I'm not going in that thing. I'll, I'll get a ride from somebody. And the nurses are like, what? Your kid is on a stretcher, he's intubated. He's being airlifted, you don't wanna go with, with your child? And she was like, oh, I'm scared. I don't wanna get in that thing. So the nurses ended up pressing her, they're like, you need to go with your son. And so she eventually did get on the helicopter, but. Ugh. So when they get him to the Children's in Westchester, they did manage to get his sodium levels down, but unfortunately the damage had been done. The damage ended up causing his brain to swell and then ultimately he was declared brain dead by his doctors. He was on life support and the machines were the only things keeping him alive at this point. Immediately, the doctors and the nurses called the cops because they suspected Lacey of poisoning him with table salt. Police and social workers went to the hospital right away and began an investigation. Now they were able to look at the camera footage from the video EEG. Throughout the observation period, Lacey would randomly bring Garnet to the bathroom that was just out of camera range. She was always bringing a cup and the kangaroo pump and the attachments that she needed for his G-tube into the bathroom with them. A few minutes later, they would come back out. Garnet would look visibly frightened and then they'd sit in the bed and Lacey would watch and wait. Eventually, Garnet would start retching in the bed, trying to throw up. He'd be holding his head in pain, saying he had a headache. Eventually, he would start to recover. And then a few minutes later, Lacey would take him back to the bathroom and do the same thing again. This happened several times. So it's believed that Lacey had given him higher and higher concentrations of salt directly into his G-tube until finally it was enough to trigger seizures. Now with Garnet on life support, but declared brain dead, the doctor was explaining to Lacey what was happening in his office. And she calmly looks at him and asks him, what was the sodium level? He told her it was 182. She just sat there calmly and had a small smile, almost looking like relieved. And then she said quietly, I knew this would happen. And the doctor said a cold chill went down his entire spine. Friends and family came to the hospital to say their goodbyes to Garnet and to be with Lacey. The police were there and they were interviewing, you know, Lacey and they were interviewing everybody, all the doctors, nurses. One interview, all the doctors and nurses and Lacey and the police went into a room. Una Younger, the one who brought the car to go to the emergency room, she went in with Lacey for like moral support. The doctors asked Lacey, when was the last time that you fed Garnet through his G-tube? And she was like, oh, over a week ago. And Una was like, 
well, wait a minute, I saw you, and she was trying to say, I saw you when I pulled up to pick you up, I saw you feeding him through his G-tube like three days ago, but she couldn't finish because Lacey shot her this sharp, cold, icy stare. And Una said that she got the chills and it was such a horrifying look that she stopped talking and she just stood up, left the room, left the hospital and went home. She was like, I can't, I can't, I can't. It, she realized at that moment, she's like, yep, I, okay, I think Lacey may have done this. Cops interviewed Lacey. She told them Garnet's whole life story. She also told them her life story about the tragedy of the death of her husband and how she's been working so hard to take care of her sick kid on her own. Then the cops ended up interviewing Lacey's parents. And the cop, just kind of in passing, says to Lacey's dad, oh, by the way, I'm so sorry to hear about the loss of your son-in-law. And Lacey's dad was like, what? And the cop's like, Lacey's husband, Blake, the cop, the, the one that just died? And her dad was like, the fuck are you talking about? She was never married. I don't know anybody named Blake. Garnet's dad is named Chris. He lives in Decatur, Alabama. And the cop was like, holy shit. Did she say anything true to me in that interview? Get this. Okay, so while still in the hospital and the investigation's going on, Lacey called a friend in the fellowship community and she's like, hey girl, what's up? Yo, I need a favor. So there's this IV stand in like a bag. Like, can you go to my house and get it and just throw it out? Like, can you go right now? Awesome, don't tell anyone, okay, bye. The friend was like, Ooh. and she's like, I'll do anything to help her. She's really going through a hard time. She shows up and there's like other members of the community there and they're like, dude, the cops were just here. They did a whole search, like they took shit. I don't know if she go in there. She's like, well, I have to go in there. I promised her I'd go in there. So she goes in, she sees the bag is still there. The cops had gone in, they did see it, but it looked like breast milk. And the cops were like, well, she told me she was breastfeeding, so it's probably just breast milk, just leave it there. So the friend takes the bag, puts it in a, like a garbage bag and takes it home. Something in her gut was like, don't throw it out. So she took it home and put it in a closet. So not the best choice, but still better than doing what Lacey told you to do, right? Once like word got out that like Lacey probably did it, like she ended up bringing it to the cops. And when the police investigators tested it, it did contain high levels of table salt. But who, who's surprised at this point? Nobody. Ultimately, Garnet was removed from life support on January 23rd, 2014, at the age of five. So everyone knows that Lacey's lying about everything. There's fucking salt everywhere. So she is charged with murder and arrested. Defense tried to argue that the bag, the feeding bag should be thrown out as evidence because it didn't maintain the chain of evidence. It passed too many hands. Anybody could have put salt in there at any point. Ultimately, it did not matter. Jury ruled Lacey guilty of murdering her son. The judge during his closing statement to the court said that it didn't take a psychiatrist to see that she was suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy. And he sentenced her to 20 years in prison. And that is where she remains today. It's believed by friends and investigators that Lacey decided to kill Garnet because he was getting older. He was also a chatty, outgoing, friendly boy and she was probably worried he was gonna start talking about what mommy was doing at home and she was losing her control over him. 
This case is devastating. I feel like one of the worst parts is that it absolutely could have been prevented. And the system failed this boy for his entire life. Lacey still maintains her innocence. She believes that the hospital killed her son from a series of medical mistakes. Bitch, shut up. So I hope she has a long, miserable life in prison. And I think she got off light. And I think I speak for everyone when I say, fuck that bitch. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the name C. Elise, S-E-E-E-L-I-S-E. If you have any questions or any case ideas that you'd like to share, email me at cealiseclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. All parties described are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.